All right, Friday again. Give you the other scary. Th- I give you the other scary thing. Not just that it's 11:11, but one month from tomorrow is the final exam. <laughs> isn't that? That's even scarier than being 11:11:11, isn't it? So. But yeah, one. I was just looking. One month from tomorrow, Dece- we're scheduled for December 12th. So when we come back on Monday, it'll be less than a, less than a less than a month till the final. So. Either good, it's over, we're done with it, we don't have to put up with him anymore, or just the terror of the final exam. I don't, it shouldn't be that bad. I already told you kind of how I'll do it. I don't think it should be too bad. We'll see. All right. We do have nothing due this week. Yay. So you don't have anything due. Homework four, homework four. Homework six, which you already have, is due on the 18th. Quiz six will be due on the 20th. So those are two things for next week that you'll have that are due by the end. And then the exam is on the 21st. So the exam will be on the 21st of November, Monday, the Monday of Thanksgiving week. And we are pretty much on schedule. We might even be getting slightly ahead, which is good because Thanksgiving week is a very, should we lose one? We lose a day plus a lab, and then we lose a day to an exam. So I actually have one lecture day all week that week. So that's not a, not a good one to, it'll be a very short chapter, hopefully. But a couple of the chapters coming up, one of them at least, is relatively short and we'll go through. So, questions? Questions? No? Okay. On to the picture of the day. And they, and they actually picked out a very appropriate one for us with what we were just talking about last time. We were talking about how our galaxy formed. Well, no, this isn't our galaxy. This is another galaxy. This is a spiral galaxy named M83 from the number 83 in Charles Messier's catalog of objects that were not to be confused with comets. Obviously, you're not going to confuse that with a comet when you look at it like that. But when you look at it through a small telescope of the time, a couple hundred years ago, and you saw a fuzzy object, it didn't look nice and beautiful like this spiral galaxy. It was a little fuzzy blob and looked a lot like a comet. But you are seeing some of the different populations and some of the different parts of the galaxy here you have the central core of the galaxy in the bulge, and if you look at the coloring, you can see that this is a much yellower area than you have further out. So that's one of the differences we talked about when we talked about the disk of our galaxy versus the bulge. Well, here's a picture showing us exactly that. We have the yellowish bulge of the galaxy, and we have the bluish disk. So you're seeing all those very hot, young blue stars that we talked about, all the O and the B stars that have formed that populate the spiral arms. Now we're going to come back today. Actually today we talk about spiral arms in our galaxy in a little bit more detail. So we'll talk a little bit more about these today and then go on to those when we talk about some other galaxies. But you are seeing that difference here. So you're seeing the very hot blue stars. You're seeing some red areas too. The red areas are not the big, not the big red giant supergiant stars. Those are the H2 regions, the hydrogen that's being ionized by the hot stars. Those are that glowing glowing ionized hydrogen gas. So hydrogen gas is being stripped of its electrons as those electrons recombine. They cascade through the energy levels and one of the ones they give us out in the visible is that very prominent red line. And you see a lot of these reddish pink areas. We see a lot of those in distant galaxies and those are areas where stars are currently forming. So we also get an idea of the ages. Remember we talked about that. We talked about that in class earlier that how young these stars are, those blue stars, don't live very long. So they had to have formed in the last few million years. 
We don't see any blue stars. When we look at the center, there's a little bit, maybe some star formation here, maybe some here, but primarily in this whole big area, everything looks sort of a yellowish white. Originally, there would have been some blue stars there. No reason you'd form just small stars, you'd form a mixture. But the blue stars, and the blue stars would always dominate because they are so many times brighter. They're just gone. They're gone and dead from certain areas. And as a population ages, in terms of stars, it goes from being very blue down to being a whitish to a yellowish down to a red. So a very, very old cluster or galaxy, and we'll look at some of those the next chapter when we get to the really old ones, are actually very red in color. A globular cluster looks very red. So you're actually seeing, looking at the coloring also tells you something about that. So an appropriate picture, sort of what we're talking about in our galaxy, just being able to look at another galaxy and see all of, see everything we're talking about. Because when we're, again, when we're within our galaxy, we can't really see what's going on as easily. We can't see the center of our galaxy like this. We have to sort of make inferences from looking at other galaxies. Question? Question? Okay. All right. Well, let's go on to chapter 14 and see if we finish that today. Be close. We might get to start 15. So we were right here last time. We got 19. That's not bad. All right. So we were talking about how we form, how we possibly form the Milky Way. And we'd looked previously at all the things we had to try to explain in the formation of our galaxy. We had to explain all these properties about the galaxy. Similar, when we looked at the solar system, you had to explain the properties of the solar system. And you might see a few resemblances here. If you remember, when we went through the formation of our solar system, we had a cloud of gas and dust. And in fact, here's a few clouds that may have been forming stars that were coalescing together had some very slow rotation to it. So even in this big cloud, you had stars. So you didn't collapse the clouds first. The stars actually started forming before the galaxy. So there would be some stars that would actually be older than the galaxy. Not by a lot, but they would, they would, be, they would have started forming as the galaxy. So even as these clouds were coming together, they had some stars in them. They wouldn't last very long. They would be the very hot younger stars for the most part, the bright ones that you'd see. But they'd coalesce into a cloud here. When you start to form this big blob of a galaxy, we talked about this before, the gas clouds will collide. So gas clouds can collide, stars don't. So the stars will keep moving. Stars will keep moving. Those stars, I mean, the one in a hundred trillion that the stars will collide, I can't say it'll never happen, but the odds of doing that are, you know, probably like, shooting two cannons from across the country and happening to get the two balls to hit each other exactly. It's about the same with stars. You're really even, probably even worse. So to try to get those stars to actually collide because you're looking at it so dense here, but in space you're talking light years apart and the stars won't collide. You know, they could pass an astronomical unit apart. Might affect them gravitationally, but they're not colliding. You know, even if they're an, only an astronomical unit apart, they could pass, star could pass between us and the sun. Wouldn't be very pleasant for us gravitationally, heat-wise. It would do a lot of things, but it wouldn't really disrupt the sun tremendously. The sun would still be there. After it's gone, the sun would still be there. So the stars don't collide, but the gas clouds do. As those gas clouds and dust clouds collide, they lose energy and they flatten out. 
So what you're going from here to here is you're flattening it out. You have all those gas clouds that formed. And they're the little, each little individual gas cloud, as they collide into each other, because they're going all sorts of random directions, so one's coming this way, one's going this way, they collide, they lose energy, they fall down towards the center. So they fall down into this disk. So the gas and dust that were there form that. The stars don't collide, so they stay right where they were. This will become the halo. So these stars out here become the halo stars. Originally, they had a whole big grouping. They had everything. When they first formed, when the stars formed, they formed O stars, B, A, all, they formed the whole spectral, whole main sequence. But once the galaxy started to form and collapse, there was no more gas and dust out here. All the gas and dust collided and condensed down into this plane. So there has been no star formation out there for 10, 12 billion years. It's a long time, for even for the sun, right? Even 12 billion years, the sun's gone. Sun will be dead and gone in, after 12 billion years from the time it was born. So all of those hot stars are gone. The only stars that are left are stars that are, even, that are even smaller than the sun. So as you can see, color coding it here, now it looks very red. The halo looks very red because those are the only stars that are left there, are red stars. Either red dwarf stars, which would be very small and hard to see, or evolved red stars, red giants and red supergiants. So the halo would be made up very much of lower mass and red stars. So this again, similar to what we say for the solar system as the gas and dust fell down to the plane and rotated, spun up, was spinning very slowly. As you collapse everything down, it spins faster and faster. And then you end up with what we do see now. So this is why we, this is our current theory. You have older stars in the halo. All the young stars are in the disk where they're still where they're still forming new stars, and you get an ordered motion in the disk and just a random motion in the halo. All the stars are moving every which way, which is how they were moving up here. They were formed from these stars. They formed before the galaxy got any coherent motion. So some of them could be orbiting backwards, sideways, upside down. You know, they can go this way around the galaxy. They can orbit any, any direction they care because they formed before the galaxy got, uh, got an ordered motion, whereas the sun, which formed later in, one of the, in, in the disk, actually has a nice orbit, nice circular orbit, essentially around the center of the galaxy, just like the planets. So that's where we finished up. So here's an example of what we think that the galaxy has. We can measure, we can look at how the gas we can look at how the stars are moving. We can look at the gas. We can actually look at gas further out across. You know, we can't see the center of our galaxy visibly, but we can see it in radio. And when we look at all of this in the radio, we can actually measure the motions and we can determine the structure as to what our galaxy looks like, even though we're stuck inside it. Now, we can't go take that magical spacecraft that goes zooming out and go back down, get out a couple, you know, take a million light year journey out above the galaxy, come back and take a nice picture of it and bring it back. First of all, it'll take you a couple million years even if you're traveling at the speed of light. But, so you wouldn't be able, to, and then of course the galaxy would be changing and all that good stuff. But this is something like what we think the structure of our galaxy is. We're here, sort of part way out. The center, not quite a disk rounded area, actually a little more elongated. We actually now think that our galaxy is what we call a barred spiral. It has a bar at the center. 
Now, I'm not going to go into great detail on that now. We'll talk about barred spirals when we do galaxies in general in the next chapter. But that's, there are two types of spiral galaxies. Either the spiral arms seem to start from the center of the galaxy, so they curve right into the center, or there seems to be a bar in between and the spiral arms start from the edge of that bar. Why is a good question. But that's just, that, those are the two, that's physically what we see. When we look at other galaxies, we see those two types of spiral galaxies. So there must be something different in the formation that can cause either of the spiral arms or of the galaxy itself that causes the bulge to be a little more elongated and causes the spiral arms to form from that. But that's what we see in our, gal- that's what we see in our galaxy. And again, that's from looking inside it. So we're looking through, and again, it's like trying to determine the shape of this building from being inside it. If you have the equipment and you can bounce you know, x-rays through and find out, okay, there's another room out here and you can, you, know, you can do that, you could figure out what the structure of this building was. But it's difficult when you're stuck inside it. A lot of what we do is from looking at other galaxies. So we look out at many millions of other galaxies, sort of as you could look out a few windows here and look at other buildings and try to interpret what this hall happens to look like. Now, spiral arms are very interesting. They're not, the galaxy doesn't rotate like a spiral, like a, spir- like a pinwheel. It doesn't rotate, it's not a solid, and it doesn't rotate like the solar system where things inside rotate faster and faster. It has to rotate almost coherently. Because when we look at galaxies, our, our sun rotates around the center of the galaxy about 200 million years, roughly. So, if it did that, after Five rotations would be only one billion years. Galaxies like 10, 12 billion years old. So after five rotations, you'd really wind up these. You'd really wind up these spiral arms, and you'd see instead, after all this time, you'd see all the galaxies would look like this. They'd all get really wound up really tight. And that's after five, that's after one billion years, after two billion years, ten, three billion years, but you'd have so many rotations, you'd have those arms rolled up so tightly that they wouldn't look. So the spiral arms must rotate a different, they must be different. They're actually not a, well, I'll come to that in the next, I'll come to that in the next section. But there's actually something different about the spiral arms. So they don't really rotate around. You don't, they don't rotate around directly with the rest of the galaxy because they don't curl up. We would see this in other galaxies as we looked at them. We would see that all the galaxies started to look, started to look like by now, hereafter, most galaxies would be 10, 10 to 15 billion years old, 10, 12 billion years old, they'd all look like this now. You wouldn't have any of these, and we see a lot of galaxies with very, very diffuse spiral arms, where they're spread out, just a couple spiral arms spread out like this. What we consider spiral galaxies are essentially, the spiral, spiral structure is actually a density wave. So it's actually, the spiral arm keeps moving, it's just all we're seeing in the spiral arm is the bright stars that have formed. So we're seeing the buildup of stars as this wave of density moves through the galaxy. So this density wave moves through the galaxy. Things get compressed. Gas and dust gets compressed that form stars. And then what's going to happen? Those stars that form, as you form them there, that's where they're all bunched up. Sort of like the cars in traffic jam. Are there really more cars on the road in the traffic jam? They're just all stuck there for a short time or a long time, depending on how bad the traffic jam is. But they're stuck in that area. You're seeing the bright stars bunched up right at the edge of the traffic jam in the galaxy. 
but they keep, they'll keep changing slowly as that density wave slowly moves around. It is rotating, but at a much slower rate. As it slowly moves around, don't forget these stars don't last very long. So you're only seeing the highlighted area of where that, where that density wave is. You're seeing it because those big bright blue stars that make up the spiral arms that we looked at don't live very long. So you know, 10 million years from now, that spiral, those that the bright blue stars are going to be further along. And all the old stars are just going to have moved out of the traffic jam and they're just going to be populating behind this density wave that's slowly moving through. So they don't rotate completely as the galaxy rotates. The stars actually rotate a lot faster than the spiral structure. So the stars may take uh, 200 million years for a star like the sun to make one trip around the center of the galaxy. But it will, as it's going through that, it would pass through different spiral arms as it moves because the spiral arms are moving much, much slower. So we're overtaking the spiral arms. You'd get caught up in that density wave. You'd move a little bit slower, like in a traffic jam. And then you get out of it, and you're going all of a sudden faster, you're going all of a sudden faster again. So you sort of think of them as a traffic, almost as a traffic jam. That's where all the stars are bunched up in the galaxy. So here's an example where you see the young stars. <coughs> So supernova explosions. And as the clouds are moving through, as those clouds end up moving into the spiral arms. So I said stars could move through the spiral arms, so can the dust clouds. Those dust clouds can get compressed. When you compress a dust cloud or gas cloud, you start star formation. You start forming stars. So as you look over time, you form stars here. The original stars would form, very young ones. Again, the older ones would be here too. We tend to, tend to emphasize the very young ones because that's what you see and that's why you see the blue spiral structure. Those will explode, not all at the same instant. That would be a nice sight, you know, get the, get the galaxy lit up like a Christmas tree for Christmas. Have all, the, have all the supernovae go off at once. And then that would start compression of new stars. So you'd actually get a new set of stars and eventually you'll get, this is where we see all these stars are bunched up together in sort of a, in a spiral arm. And that's what we're seeing in some of these. You're seeing the areas where the stars are currently, currently forming. Why the spiral arms start in the first place is another very good question and not something that is known. Something that astronomers are currently researching and trying to study. Why do they form spiral arms in the first place and not just form random patterns of stars? Again, it's a very good question. This sort of explains, the density waves sort of explain how the stars, how they move and how they work and how they continue to propagate and form new stars. And it works for that, but it doesn't help a lot with telling us where they actually came from in the first place. Again, that is currently still something we're trying to understand. It's something we've been trying to understand for a couple, a couple, not even a hundred, not even a couple hundred years because there weren't galaxies even a hundred years ago were barely known, so for the last 50 years since we've really started to understand galaxies. All right. Mass of the galaxy. Kepler's third law, right? You're going to be sick of that by the time we're done. Right? At least you don't have to do it again. You don't have to go through the calculations again. How do we determine the mass of the Milky Way galaxy? Well, any object ordering something, orbiting something else has some average distance 
So if we take the sun and take its average distance from the center of the galaxy in its orbit, and however many parsecs, and we take its orbital period around the center of the galaxy, a couple hundred million years, we can then figure out the mass. Now that doesn't tell us the mass of the entire galaxy. That tells us the mass interior to the sun's orbit. So sort of like using the Earth orbiting around the sun to determine the mass of the sun, it doesn't tell us anything about material that's further out. It tells us what's inside us. So it doesn't tell us anything about the mass that's further out in the disk. So anything that's further out in the disk than us, that doesn't help with. So you could look for stars that are further out and further out and further out and further out and look for the stars at the very edge of the galaxy to try to determine the galaxy's entire mass. But in order to determine it, when we look at any of these orbits, and for the sun, or the Earth and and the sun, it doesn't really matter because there is no mass outside of the sun in the solar system. Everything else is insignificant. Little bits of rock, you know, a few little bits of rock, some gas, nothing nothing important compared to the mass of the sun. 99% of the mass is there and you've got this little 1% that's scattered out among the planets. With the galaxy, it doesn't quite work that way. There is a lot of mass concentrated at the center, but there's also a lot of mass further out. So we have to look for those further edges to try to determine what the mass of the galaxy is. So when we do this, and actually this is just giving you the speed of rotation of the galaxy, as you get further and further out from the center of the galaxy, when you start very, very close, well, stars aren't moving very fast because there's not a lot of mass inside them. Then they go up pretty fast, and there's a few oscillations. Here's the sun. And eventually, once you find that outermost star, once you find some of those outer, find those very outer stars, eventually you should get to occur what happens in the solar system. The stars should move, the stars should move slower and slower. As you get to the outskirts of the galaxy, almost all the mass is inside, just like all the mass in the solar system is the sun. So when you get to that point at about 15 kiloparsecs, which is the edge of the visible galaxy, then any stars you find, you start to find, and there's always going to be those scattered ones that are out even further and even further, like the comets in the solar system. There's always scattered little things that you can find. They should be moving slower and slower. So what we'd expect to find as we look at those is the dotted line here, dashed line. We'd expect to find them moving slower and slower as you go more and more distance away from the from this plane of the gap, from the center of the galaxy. But we don't. Actually, we find that those stars are moving faster and faster and faster and faster as you get further away from the galaxy. So that is telling us that there is a lot of matter that we don't see. There is a lot of material in the galaxy that we cannot see. And this is one thing we call, call, they call dark matter. Dark matter because we don't, we don't see it at all. So it doesn't emit it's not hydrogen because we'd see hydrogen emission, right? We'd see the high 21 centimeter hydrogen emission. should be visible every place. We don't see that. It should be, it's not visible light. It's not invisible light. You don't see it. You don't see it in uh, x-rays, gamma rays, infrared, ultraviolet. So whatever material is causing this, it works gravitationally, but because it affects the gravity and the motion of these very distant stars in the galaxy, but it, uh, it's not visible in any other way. And again, this is again twice the mass of the galaxy outside what we see. And, and this, this is minor. This is just a little bit of This is just the tip of it. Because it gets even worse when we get in a couple of weeks and we start talking about the clusters of galaxies. 
Not only is it ten times, but it one two times, but it can be ten a hundred times, the amount of matter that we see. So, what that means is that for every star you're seeing here in the in the galaxy, there's at least another part of the two to three stars that we're not stars worth of matter that we're not seeing, that are invisible. When we do it for galaxy clusters, again we'll get that in a little bit. 10 to 100. So for every galaxy you see in a cluster, in order to explain the motions, we need another 10 to 100 galaxies worth of material that's not seen. So it ends up that it looks like, unless something is completely wrong with our gravity, our understanding of gravity, well, maybe that's a possibility too, that there is a lot of matter that we do not see in the universe. And that our normal matter that we are used to, you know, this stuff, stuff we're made up of is only a tiny fraction, only a few percent of what exists in the universe. You know, maybe, what do they say, three to five percent? Everything that we see, and that's everything we see, everything we've studied in the class, every time you look at a galaxy, you look at a star, you look at a nebula, you look at radio emission, x-ray emission, that's only a tiny percentage of everything in the universe. The rest of it is not, is not visible to us. So we're only, not only, are we, we're getting less and less significant as we go, aren't we? So first we're not even the center of the universe, not the center of the universe anymore, but now even our matter is, you know, a meaning of a little tiny portion of what actually exists in terms of matter and energy in the universe. So there is a lot of matter that is missing and not, not missing, well it used to be called missing, now it's just dark, dark matter. So it's dark matter, it's there, we know it's there from the observations, it has to be doing something gravitationally because the galaxy shouldn't rotate like this. It shouldn't be going faster and faster as you get further and further out. That would be like going in the solar system and finding that as you went further and further out that the planets were moving even faster and faster and faster. So instead of Neptune going slower, moving slower in its orbit than the Earth, it might be moving faster. Still moving a bigger distance, yeah. It might take longer for it to go around once, but it would be moving faster in terms of velocity. And that's what we're seeing in terms of these stars. They're going faster and faster. There are stars further out that orbit faster than the sun, speed-wise. So it's a very good thing, something that we're, we're studying. And I know a number of you, a number of you, I think this class is well looked at, because I know dark matter was one of the things I read a number of article reviews about this time. So what is it? Good, good question. We don't know. Here's some ideas. What could it be? It, it's got to be dark everywhere. So it has to be something that you're just not going to be able to see. It's going to be a very faint, so very hard to see at any wavelength. So an example would be, well, a black hole, right? Black holes are very hard to see unless there's something nearby it that's pulling material in, that's pulling material in from. A black hole is essentially invisible. And it can have a good amount of mass. So you could have exploded a number of stars and formed black holes and that could be a lot of matter. But probably not. There's probably, based on our models and how the stars form, there's probably not enough, not enough time to have created enough black holes to account for this amount of mass that we're not seeing. The best option for things like stars are things like brown dwarfs. Remember brown dwarfs are the failed stars, so they're there, but they're, in, they're very small. They'll be very faint. So if they're close to us, we could see them. But if they were out in the halo of the galaxy, you know, 
hundred, thousands, many thousands of light years away, we're not going to see them at any wavelength. So they would be invisible. Faint white dwarfs would be the same thing. As white dwarfs start to cool, they get fainter and fainter. Some of those at large distances would be hard to see. Red dwarfs, same thing. Those are you know, a step above the brown dwarfs. They're actually stars, but there are a number of very faint ones that would be hard to see if they were not really close to us. Again, remember the sun. With the sun, we would not be able to see. If we took the sun 50 light years away, it wouldn't be visible to the naked eye. It would be visible through a telescope. But the, only 50 light years away. If you start talking about taking things thousands of light years away, you'd get to the point where you couldn't even see a much fainter star than the sun. You wouldn't even be able to see it through the best telescopes we have. So in terms of looking for things like stars, that's our best option right now. Maybe brown dwarfs form a lot of brown dwarfs form. And that ties up a lot of the material makes it very, very hard to see, but counts for a lot of the matter. Maybe these formed in the early history of the galaxy. Maybe we do form a lot of, a lot of brown dwarfs. The other one that's used is some very strange different subatomic particles that don't like to interact with anything, similar to the neutrinos we talked about. And well, it's one of those that could be, but you've got to give a theory that comes up with the prediction that we can test. So you, know, you can come up with all sorts of weird things that might work, but you need something that makes a prediction that we can go test in order to make it a reasonable scientific theory. So there's some things like that that have been suggested, but then not yet there's been no evidence for any of them. So really right now it's still dark matter. This is one of our best options, but it doesn't even look like that will necessarily take care of all of the matter that we're not accounting for. Now. White dwarfs was one of the ones we talked about. And under, according to general relativity, remember that way back? We did a little general relativity. That was fun, right? No. But general, under general relativity, a star will bend light as it comes around, as it, comes around it. So the star acts as a lens, and actually the gravity bends the starlight, and it will come to us here. So in this case, if a star happens to pass right in front of another star, and say this is an extremely faint object that you can't really see, you know, very faint white dwarf, brown dwarf that has a decent amount of gravity, and it passes right in front of another star, what it will do is actually bring all that light. So we'll not only get the light coming almost straight through, but you'll enhance the light and you'll get a brighter image. So the example shown here, as you have this faint object when, you're, when it's far out of the line of sight, you see your star there. At one point for this short time, it's going to get really bright as this other star, you know, white dwarf, for example, passed in front of it. And then it'll immediately get fainter again once it gets out of there. So it's just when it passes in front of it, you get that. And I know this is a nice detailed picture, but here's one from April of 96 and November of 96. And sort of this one star that's highlighted was much fainter and much brighter, and it was a one-time thing. It wasn't like it was another type of variable star that would keep doing that over and over again. It didn't get near bright enough to be anything like a nova or a supernova, but it brightened significantly for a short time. Now some of those that we've looked at, the, looked at these, we think that maybe those low-mass white dwarfs can be about half of what we're, based on how many times this occurs and the models as to what we think should occur, maybe about half of the mass were missing. Half of the mass died. So it could be about half that mass could be 
in terms of these white dwarfs. But the rest is still unknown. You get, to, you get to the rest of this course. The rest of the course is a lot of mysteries we don't know, I don't know. Get a, get a lot of that now. I know a lot more about the earlier part of the course. And in this, you know, well, I, know, I, know I know that we don't know it. That's what I know. So. Okay, center of the galaxy. So we've done all the parts of the galaxy. We, did the, we talked about the halo. We talked about the disk. We talked about the bulge. Well, the center of the galaxy. So our view towards the galactic center. There's the center of the galaxy. You see it, see, it, see it prominently there with the two little teeny tiny yellow arrows pointing to it so you can actually find it. That's the, that's the location of the center of our galaxy. And that's not even invisible light. Here it is invisible. Here is invisible light. Not quite as magnified in, but this is this section. Magnified here. This is infrared light. And that's the center of our galaxy. So even in infrared, our center of our galaxy is not really very visible. There is so much material, so much gas and dust between us and the center of the galaxy that we don't see it. We don't see it visibly at all. I mean, if I showed you that other picture without anything highlighted, you wouldn't pick that little nondescript section as the center of our galaxy, most likely. Right? Maybe if you were throwing random darts at it and happened to hit it. But that is where the actual location of the center of the galaxy is. When we look at it in infrared, Again, if I didn't highlight a certain section and have it centered, you probably wouldn't pick out that little tiny dot as being the center of the galaxy. Now if we look at it in radio, then it works. Radio, it's much brighter. So radio waves get through all that dust, but there's enough dust there that even the infrared is blocked, pretty much. But when we look at it in radio, then it is much, much brighter. So. Again, you had to highlight where it is. If I didn't show you where it is on those two, you wouldn't be able to find the center of our galaxy. Now in radio, there's an image in radio there. As we go again, we kind of jump around from the infrared image to a x-ray image to that, to back and forth and back. You have, in this area, the center of our galaxy is a much brighter. The Radio images are in a false color. They're usually the reds or the brightest areas. So the brightest area there is actually corresponds with the center of the galaxy. So you could pick out the brighter area. We do have some interesting structure. Because you see you've got this little kind of wave thing that goes out and it'll hook up on the top. But then as we move in and you zoom in again and you actually look further down, this is looking down at a scale. That scale is one parsec. One parsec is about three light years. So that's about the distance from us to Alpha Centauri. Actually a little bit closer than that. So I mean you're, you're looking at very, a very empty region of the solar neighborhood here. But in, when we're looking at the center of the galaxy, there's actually a little bit of, we actually see almost a little bit of different spiral structures, something starting down there. Which whether or not those are related to actually how spiral arms form is a good question. But this is what we're seeing in the radio. So this is actually a radio map, a very high resolution radio map. So get to go back and use some of the other stuff we've talked about, interferometry, right? Different radio telescopes put together to get a very high resolution image. So we're looking at the center of the galaxy, but we're seeing it on the scale of stars. If this were a map of the solar neighborhood with the sun at the center, you might have a handful of one or two stars towards the edge of this. Here you have all this material that's condensed down and somewhere at the center of that would be the black hole at the center. But you see all these different. You see you get a different view depending on exactly what wavelength you look at. Radio is the best to actually look into the central 
central core of the black hole, or central core of the galaxy, I should say. Can't look into the central core of the black hole. So, what if you lived at the galactic center? Well, probably wouldn't want to because there's so many things going on there. But the density of the stars is about a million times higher than it is here. So if you want to think what the nighttime sky might look like if you lived on a planet near the center of the galaxy, for every star you see, there's a million of them. It'd be a pretty bright nighttime sky just from the, just from the, star, just from the stars. Everywhere you'd look, you know, every, you wouldn't have these big gaps between stars. There'd be millions. There'd be millions of stars. For every one you see, there'd be a million. When you get deep down, there's actually a gas ring towards the center, about 400 parsecs across, probably around the magnetic, around the, reading the next one, around the black hole towards the center. Very strong magnetic fields, and. When you get further down, really close to the black hole, some sort of ring or disk of matter that's only a few parsecs across. Again, a few parsecs, we're talking 9, 10 light years. That's, very, that's the very central core. There's not a, you're having a lot of material condensed into that very tiny core of the galaxy. And a very strong x-ray source at the center. So again, we're seeing evidence of a black hole. The black hole itself would be invisible. We can't see it. We can't see it. We can't see anything from it. But we can see from just outside it. So as you have this disk of matter that's spiraling in towards the black hole, it gets heated up and gets hotter and hotter and reaches temperatures of millions of degrees, which will emit x-rays. So this strong x-ray source is a good evidence for a black hole, as well as all these rings or disks of matter that are in this very small compressed area close to, you know, close to the center of the galaxy. So those are a number of things. And again, it tends to lead us to think that there is a black hole at the center of our galaxy, probably about a million or so times the mass of the sun. That's a baby black hole for the big ones. For the big ones at the centers of galaxies, that's relatively small. But about a million times the mass of the sun. But that's all taken account. That's nothing to do with any of the missing, the missing the dark matter that we've talked about. That's all accounted for because it's there. And we can measure that, that we can measure its gravity, gravitational effect, and how much all the material inside our orbit is. It's the only stuff outside that's actually bigger than the galaxy is what we're missing. So apparently, there is an enormous black hole, about a million times the mass of the sun, at the center of our galaxy. Again, you, can't, you can detect black holes, as we talked about. You can detect them indirectly. You can detect them by how they interact with other materials. And you can detect them by their, gra- by their gravity, essentially. By their gravity and by how they interact with everything else. What emits all the radiation is not the black hole. Nothing gets out of the black hole. So if it crosses the event horizon, we did this the last time, it's gone. We don't see anything. But you can have a disk of material around the black hole So if you have a disk of material around the black hole that's spiraling in, all that material, remember this is a strong gravity. This is a million times the mass of the sun. So think about how fast these particles are moving. You know, Mercury close to one solar mass moves around it once every 80 days. You've got a million times the mass of the sun here and you're talking about things that are very, very close. These things are moving around or whipping around that. They're moving incredibly fast. And they're going to be bumping into each other and friction and heating each other up. 
And this is going to reach millions of degrees. And then emit a lot of x-rays. So we get a lot of x-rays. Again, not coming from the black hole. The black hole in its event horizon would be way down in there someplace. But as that material is spiraling around it at very high speeds, it can emit all that. And the x-rays from there can escape. They're outside the event horizon. They can escape out into space and we can detect those. But that's where everything is, that's where we believe everything is coming from. And we're not really done with this topic because we'll come back to it in the next couple of chapters as well and talk about, you know, our galaxy isn't the only one like this. So we're not special. We don't have just a black hole. We've got a little tiny one actually. We're not very special. There's actually galaxies that have black holes that are 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times bigger than this. They could have billion solar mass black holes. So here's an example of one object. This is a star orbiting a galaxy, or orbiting the center of our galaxy. So this is, we're looking right at the center of our galaxy. So there's Sagittarius A star, that's the center of our galaxy. Sagittarius A, that's how we name the radio sources. The radio sources got named by the constellations and Sagittarius A was the brightest, Sagittarius B was the next brightest in that constellation, and so on. So if you see Sagittarius A, that just means that's where the source, that's where the strongest source is. So that's where the black hole would be. And then as you watch this orbit here, we have in 1992 the star was here and we were able to watch this object orbiting and you can see how it moved slower, slower. Look how fast it moved when it got close. Well, we just found a way to determine, we got, we, got, we got an orbit of something. We have a way to determine the mass. And I will say about a million solar masses according to this calculation. And now you have this orbit so you can figure out the period. And you can figure out the average distance. You know, it's real close here, real far away here, a nice highly elliptical orbit. Then you can determine the mass. And if you do that, a million, 3.7, about the same. A couple million solar mass black hole at the center. Again, that's a relatively small black hole. And you can see how fast this object is moving. In you know, one year, you're talking, you know, you're only talking a thousandth of a parsec but you're still talking very many hundreds of astronomical units. So it's moving in the course of one year, it's moving very quickly. It's moving, what would that be? About 200 astronomical units, if I'm doing that correct in my head on the fly. About 200 or so astronomical units. So that's in one year, that would be 200. It's actually moving more than a couple hundred astronomical, it's, it's whipping. It's whipping through space and that takes some very strong source of gravity. If it was just leisurely moving through there, then you wouldn't have a strong gravitational source. So it is really whipping through space there. And that's not the only one. There's others that have been seen too. And the more you get, you know, you, you measure the mass once, but then if you find other objects that are orbiting, you can do two and three. The nice thing with this is that you know that there's nothing else between you. There's hardly anything else between this object and the center of the galaxy. So you're getting a, just a good mass of the center of the galaxy. When we do the sun, we don't get that. When we do the sun, then we get, well, we've got the sun and we've got all the material around between us and the center of the galaxy, so we're measuring that entire thing. Looking right at this inner core, again, you're talking about things that are the size of the solar system in terms of distances here. You're really seeing just the very core and getting a good measurement of that black hole. 
So again, we will come back to this. That should be, yeah, I think I get the review slides next. Yeah. So we'll do the review slides and then we'll come, back to, we'll come back to this again in the next chapter. We talk about galaxies in general and we'll see some of this, some of this again. So let me just finish up and do the review and we timed that just about right. Okay. So a galaxy, what is a galaxy? A galaxy is stars and gas and dust and everything that is bound together by its own gravity. So it's held together. It's not going anyplace. Our galaxy is bound together and we're not losing material. We're not adding much material. It pretty much stays the same. But it's held together by gravity. Our galaxy is a spiral galaxy. Barred spiral galaxy to be specific. And we know that through radio studies. We know it through some visible studies. You can actually, if you map out stars, you can get some idea of the spiral structure of our own galaxy as you learn distances to the stars. So you can actually get some idea of it from within, at least the nearby areas, we can learn some of this. A lot of it in terms of others, we look at other galaxies. So we look in the radio and then we compare to other galaxies. And what do we see in galaxies that we can actually see the whole detail to? Variable stars have become important and we use them to determine distances. Our, our Lyrae stars, Cepheid variables, we can figure out their exact brightnesses based on just how, off, how they oscillate, how they oscillate in brightness, how long they take. So a Cepheid variable that, that pulsates very quickly is a very, is a very less luminous star than one that pulsates very slowly. The longer the period of a Cepheid, the more, the brighter it will be intrinsically on average. To actually find the extent of our galaxy, we need, we use the globular clusters. I showed you the picture at the very beginning of this chapter that showed Herschel's mapping of the Milky Way. And all he was seeing was that little core right around us. Because there's so much gas and dust around that we can't see everything else. Globular clusters are scattered all around the galaxy and we can use them. We can see them at large distances. They're bright. They have a lot of stars. They're easy to determine. They also have lots of R.I. Lyrae stars so we can determine distances to them. And we can map out their extent and they are scattered around the halo of the galaxy so we can find out really how big our galaxy is and how much of it we cannot see. Star formation in the galaxy is just in the disk. So there's that halo is all the old stars. The bulge is mostly older stars. Bulge in the center. But the disk is where all the interesting star formation goes on. And that's what we looked at at the picture of the day for the day. We actually saw another galaxy and you could see all the areas of bright young stars and you could see this other star forming hydrogen regions. Finally, we think that spiral arms may be density waves. So maybe caused by density waves, sort of like a traffic jam of the, of the stars. The big thing that we're missing is a lot of the material in our galaxy. We don't know where or what, it, well we know roughly where it is. We know that it's outside this visible structure of the galaxy. So if our galaxy is so big, we have our spiral galaxy and it's so big, you know, that's what we see visibly. We have all this dark matter that's around it that has to be there because of the way the stars orbit. So we know that there is at least as much matter outside the visible part of the galaxy as we see inside it. So our ga the galaxies are two, three, five times more massive than they appear to be just by counting. If we looked at all the stars and all the gas and everything that we could observe at every wavelength, there's still another whole galaxy mass to two galaxy masses to three to four that are missing. 
And that's what we call dark matter. Again, we'll come back to that in a little bit more detail in a couple chapters. We'll talk about dark matter and then dark energy, which is even more. Which makes dark matter seem insignificant. And then finally, when we look at the center of our galaxy, there is probably about a 3.7 million solar mass black hole. About a couple million solar masses. I'm not, I'm, again, I don't test you on the number. I'm not going to ask you, is it 3.7 or 3.6 or 3.2? You know, a few million solar masses. If I asked you that on a question, I'd probably ask, you know, is it you know, a few hundred thousand? Is it a two, two, three million? Is it 50 million? Is it 100? You know, I'd, give you some, I'd give you that kind of range, as long as you knew the general area. And now that I told you, I probably won't even bother putting it on, but you know how that works. So, questions on our galaxy? Because what we're going to do, go on, and I'm just going to time that just about perfect. Uh, we're going to go on next time and talk about galaxies in general. So we have four weeks and four chapters. So we're just about, except for that short week, we're just about, we're just about online. So questions, questions? Otherwise, we'll take a short break. I'll get the computers fired up for a, a lab. No sketching this time. You don't have to draw pictures this time. So everybody says, yay. OK, let's stop.